So I put on the point shoes and I started to dance for her. And she says, oh, could you do this? Could you move your hip while you're on the shoe? And I go, no, no, not possible. No, no, you can't do that. That's not right. And she goes, well, why don't you just try it? Whether you're a professional dancer or just started falling in love with ballet dance, welcome to the Ballet Dance Live podcast. Here, we are diving deep into all facets of ballet dance world that cannot be found in a workshop or an audience seat. Every week, you will find new, honest, thought-provoking, inspiring, and educational conversation with top leading professionals of our industry. I'm your host, Jana Komornitska, and I'm honored that you are part of our dance tribe. This episode is brought to you by the Yana Dance Club, online platform where you can get access to all my teaching materials at once. Hundreds of technique drills, multiple choreographies, themed intensives, full-length courses, everything you can think about. Whether 20 minutes or few hours for practice, you will find a program that will fit not only your schedule, but your mood as well. First seven days are free, so check it out at yanadansclub.com, link in the show notes. I am excited, excited, excited to welcome you back to the Ballet Dance Live podcast. Hello, dear dancers. How are you doing? How is everything going? Uh, I know for some of you it may be a very busy season right now with live performances coming back and having already some gigs and it probably feels a bit weird and awkward since last year that it was very, very little social engagement, but now in different countries it's coming back little by little so some of you i know already have some christmas gigs and new year gigs upcoming soon so that's very excited and wishing you good luck with your upcoming performances and uh, getting back on stages in front of live audience bringing people emotions that's very exciting and uh, probably a little bit nervous since uh, we had such a break, long break. And some of you are still less engaged in dance activities, but I'm pretty sure you're also excited about some time with family and friends, celebrating holidays, uh, also approaching the end of the year, and this is usually the time when we kind of review things that happened, plan for the next year, set up new goals, uh, congratulate ourselves with our achievements in the past year and I do encourage you take a look because you definitely have something to acknowledge and to celebrate and this is something that we forget a lot. And yes, I know all your thoughts right now about uh, holiday uh, shopping getting gifts but do take uh, some time to also celebrate maybe even get some small gift for yourself. <laughs> well, Actually, talking about gifts, I have a very important announcement, something that I have been waiting for a long time to finally introduce at the Yana Dance Club, my online teaching platform, and now finally it's here. We have gift cards available for one year access to the club. So, if you're looking for some last-minute gifts for some of your friends or family members, you can give them the gift of belly dance of the gift of dance and this can be something cool for your dance friends who are already introduced in belly dance 
And it can be something cool for someone who absolutely have no experience in dance at all, because I do have content there a lot for beginners too. But in any case, the gift cards are available. It's a one-year membership, but it's not recurring so don't worry you don't need to pay every year from your credit card and access for them it's a one-time payment one year access you can set up to whom you want to send this electronic gift card to which email on which date and add some personal uh, message from you that will be included in the email automatically and then person can redeem and whenever they redeem it starts their one year membership access you can find more information at yanadanceclub.com slash gift dash card and I will definitely include a link in the show notes. So you can go directly click there and get all information. On another note, I'm also excited about introducing our today's guest, Awesome Saba. She has decades of experience in classical, modern and folk styles of dance. Saba has worked with the Chicago Festival Ballet, Ballet Chicago and Alabama Ballet. She received her degree from Columbia College Chicago, majoring in cultural studies and minoring in dance with a year abroad at the American University in Cairo. There she joined the Egyptian Folklore Company and received a contract to dance on the Nile Pharaoh cruise ship, allowing her to hand-select a band and troupe of dancers. In 2006, she joined the international dance company Ballad and Superstars, directed by Gillian Carlano, and began touring the world, performing and teaching workshops highlighting her specialty of combining ballet with ballet dance while wearing point shoes. In 2018, Saba relocated from Chicago to Los Angeles to become the artistic programs manager for Balladance Evolution. She has been a contributing choreographer for Balladance Evolution since 2012. Then BDE was commissioned to produce Le Voyage de Shahrazad, a multinational, multidiscipline collaboration between Moroccan, European and American Oriental and ballet dancers with the orchestra, Saba was the choreographer for all the ballet routines. In this today's episode, we talked about her approach to dancing and the joy of dancing as a part of group rather than necessarily performing as a soloist. Also experiencing the exploration of ballet dance at the university environments and uh, both her and me shared our own experience on that also of course we talked about ballet training and how did it how it influenced her ballet dance training as well as benefits that ballet dancers may gain from practicing ballet and obviously I couldn't skip but diving more into the story of creating her famous fusion dance piece with point shoes and the story on how she joined ballet dance superstars and not only ballet dance superstars but also ballet dance evolution where Today she is the artistic programs manager and we talked about her responsibilities there, we talked about the process of selecting uh, dancers, the process of rehearsing and putting productions together. So all this and obviously much more is waiting for you in today's episode. So on this note, let's dive in. Hello, dear Sabar. I'm so happy to welcome you at the Ballad Dance Life podcast and uh, very excited to talk to you today. 
I am thrilled to be here. <laughs> well, I'm excited to talk about your journey, but also to uh, we'll start a little bit differently because we were just chatting before we started and sharing. You were sharing exciting news, like live events are back, and you just had an awesome trip to uh, Denmark, uh, Danish Open Festival with Belladon Solution. So, how did it go? <laughs> It was incredible. It was their 10th anniversary of the Danish Open Belly Dance Festival. They pull, they had four full days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, full of performances, workshops, dancers from all over. And this was our first official scheduled event after the pandemic. Um, we originally were supposed to do Belly Dance Evolutions Experience, Jelena's BDE Experience, as um, their 2020 festival. Mm. But as we all know, nothing was in person in 2020. And uh, for Belly Dance Evolutions Experience, you can't do it on Zoom. I mean, it's it's all about being part of an ensemble, being part of a group, and. You know, although the Danish Open did have a 2020 celebration online, we were not able to be part of that uh, with Jelena's Belly Dance Evolution. So we postponed till 2021. And at January of 2021, we kind of started looking and, and, you know, oh, well, what's open, what's not open? And we thought when we opened the auditions that we would mostly work with Danish dancers thinking, oh, nobody's going to want to travel. It's too soon. There's still other variants. The pandemic is, you know, it's in this awkward stage of, is it over? Is it not over? We're, you know, what's going on? And um, the sponsors of the opening, Nora and Meryl, were confident that, de that Denmark would be able to host this event. They, uh, Denmark has been very um, attentive to the protocols. They, their vaccine rate is very high. And um, yeah, they, they really wanted to go forward with the event. And as it got closer and closer, we realized it was going to happen. I mean, it was just unbelievable. Like, I really wasn't sure it was going to happen. <laughs> What was the feeling of being on stage again after such a long break? Yeah, um, I mean, not only being on the stage was incredible to be back to something that had been missed for so long, but the added benefit of putting a production together, having 24 dancers from over many different countries, like I think over 15 different countries auditioned and joined the cast. So we had European dancers, American dancers, Canadian dancers, um, obviously Danish, Norwegian, like from many different countries. Guatemala, we our Wicked Witch was from Guatemala. And uh, they, you know, were able to come together and perform as a group. Like we were all on the stage together. And to me, ensemble dancing is my ultimate. Like I, I love a great soloist. I love a great solo performance, but there is nothing like being part of a bigger dance than just one person. Mm. And I think everyone in the cast really felt that. 
Ah, that's interesting because usually it's quite opposite, you know, sensations for dancers. Everyone wants to be a soloist. Everyone wants to be to be one shining on stage. And uh, sometimes we forget the joy and the excitement and this atmosphere of being part of a bigger group. So that's very interesting how like you kind of reminded and brought it back and emphasized on that uh, that element of Baladance life and Baladance community. <laughs> Yeah, I, I know I'm, I'm not, you know, not everyone agrees with me about ensemble being the most exciting thing, a group, a troupe, a, a collection of people. But I that's why I say I think in my past life, I must have been Scandinavian because I definitely have that um, deep down root of, of being part of a collective and really wanting the whole group to make something bigger than one person. And so... You know, I don't know. So yeah, this was just the perfect venue, the perfect sponsors, the perfect event to come back from such a long hiatus for mm. us artists. Well, coming back, not to the past lives, <laughs> let's come back to this life, but uh, to the very beginning of your uh, dance journey. Um, I know you were very much into ballet and ballet training uh, since childhood. When was the first time when you saw ballet dance? I knew you were going to ask this, and I've been thinking about it since you asked, because it's been so long that there's so many different points that led me to where I went. It's hard to pick how to summarize it. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I basically started before I could remember, I was already dancing. I was in an arts preschool. Um, my mom was a big dance enthusiast, although she never danced. She said she cannot dance, but she loved watching it. She loved taking us kids to go to classes and to see performances. And um, I happened to grow up in a very liberal um, suburb of Chicago called Oak Park. And in that suburb, there was a academy called the Academy of Movement and Music. And they did all the traditional things that a person would do, ballet, tap, jazz, modern. Um, in particular, they had a historical society for Isadora Duncan, because, um, where they would preserve some of her works. and have different guest artists come and set some of those pieces on, you know, younger generations. And so I started there and I had no idea what ballet dance was. You know, I went through junior high, um, started high school, and all I knew was the American styles of dance, ballet, jazz, modern, hip hop. Uh, not even hip hop was really a thing as much in, in the school like that. But I found that I loved ballet the most because of the discipline and the repetition and no talking. <laughs> I was a terrified kid who, who was so shy, painfully shy, that I didn't really like talking. I wasn't much of a talker. <laughs> well, and welcome to the yeah. podcast. <laughs> I know, right? See, I told you, I was terrified. <laughs> but, you know, um, yeah. I just found that it was much easier to dance what I was thinking and learn repetitions and get good at something with my body and 
So, so when I found belly dance, it was actually a friend in high school where everyone knew me as the bunhead ballerina. And I had this one friend that truthfully, like, I had almost like a little girl crush on, meaning I just really adored her as a friend. She was on the wrestling team. She was mass, she was studying Spanish and Arabic and, um, just her life seems so fascinating to me. And she says, well, I take dance classes too. It's a style called Middle Eastern dance. And I go to this woman's house and her and her daughter teach classes on Middle Eastern dance. It wasn't even called Egyptian or anything specific because remember we were outside of Chicago and the nearest uh, suburb, or sorry, there's a population in Dearborn, Michigan of the most Arabs in all of the US. Hmm. And those Arabs would come and they would bring their instruments and they would travel to Chicago, which was only, I can't remember how many hours, but you know, it's a drive, but you could do it. And they would perform in Chicago. And this woman, her name was Sadia and her daughter was Saraya. And they would perform to these live bands. Um, in Greek town, at Assyrian clubs, at Palestinian clubs, um, all kinds of, and a lot of international like restaurants and places where people would come and eat and drink and then dance. Um, so my friend took me to the class and actually I hated my first mm. class. What? <laughs> I hated it because first of all, it was an advanced class and I had never even seen a belly dancer before. She took me to the class because she needed a ride. Like she couldn't drive. We were both six. I was 16. She was 16, but I had a driver's license and she did it. So I drove her to the class and it was like two older ladies, the teacher, and then my friend and me. And I had never seen belly dance. I didn't know what I was doing. And the, and the teacher said it was really wonderful. She showed me some basic moves, but then she says, okay, it's improv time. Let's improvise. Here's some music. And so my friend improvised and I was starstruck and uh, the other dancer danced and I was like, wow, how'd they do that? And then she goes, okay, go to me. And I said, well, do what? Because in ballet, you, the choreographer tells you what to do. You don't make it up as you go. And I didn't even recognize the music. So I felt totally like exposed and, you know, like, oh, you said you were a dancer, but you're not dancing. It, it felt so awkward. So I didn't go back for a long time, but my friend kept going and I loved supporting her. So I would drive her to her gigs. I would go and then I started seeing performers mm -hmm. and I started to understand what it was, but I still had a ballet career. So this was just kind of on the side, like for fun. And uh, we both went our separate ways for college. Like she went off to Iowa. I, I joined the Alabama ballet. And um, so I, I was doing ballet, ballet, ballet. And about 20, my early 20s, I had a big shift in hormones and my body changed a little bit. And I was always like borderline, not the right body shape for certain dance companies. And... I had a minor, like absolutely minor injury where I had to wear a boot on my ankle for a little while and I, I couldn't dance as much as I had been. So obviously I gained weight because I wasn't exercising and um, it was kind of that awkward age where your body's filling out. Mm -hmm. 
And so when I went back, I was really having trouble getting back to the physique and the level of, of ballet that I wanted. And um, so I kind of re-examined and said, I, I can't do ballet anymore. You know, like I, I had fun while I did, like I had amazing ballet teachers, um, amazing experiences, but I kind of went, I need to do something else. So I went off to college. I went to Columbia College in Chicago, and I thought I'd be a dance major. Mm -hmm. And when I was in the dance department, this was before uh, uh, older times where the dance chair had never heard of belly dance, and she didn't consider it an art. She, you know, everything was all about modern dance, Western dance, Western is the way to go. She wanted me back in ballet classes, like that kind of thing. And, and I was like, well, actually, I'm really interested in other styles like flamenco or Middle Eastern or, you know, what else can I do? And she kind of humored me for a minute and let me do a presentation on why belly dance should be considered an art. But I was also very new to it. So I only had so much information. And this is in the baby years of the Internet where not everything was so accessible. So it was specifically it was specifically about ballet dance, or it was about all other, let's say, ethnic or other like non-major dance forms. Or it was specifically a conversation about ballet dance back then. It was specifically about ballet dance because there um, they had electives where you could take a flamenco class or a hip hop class or a West African class, but they were never like you could never major or do most of your dance classes in these styles. These were electives. You mm -hmm. only do them once and then you go back to the modern dance. So I wanted Middle Eastern dance to be at least an elective, if not considered a real art form. And I actually was pointing at UCLA because UCLA, UCLA in California was starting to offer this, but it hadn't made it to the Midwest. Okay, okay, but where happened that shift? Because you said, the first class you kind of hated, but I guess it was more about this uh, exposure and like more like uh, putting on being put on spot. But still, like there was not much interest in ballet dance. And then suddenly, now you're talking that you wanted to go do dance major, and you were already interested in also doing ballet dance. So where did the shift? Did it come from watching performances, or where did it come from? <laughs> I see, I see. Well, because I had been watching my friend perform and I had been going to these Middle Eastern nightclubs. Like there was restaurants um, that had live music where the band would be musicians from all different countries, Palestinian, Jordanian, Moroccan, and they would play music and I would watch the dancing of the guests and they would also have a belly dance show. So I was kind of watching and I realized I want to learn how to do that. I just need the approach of ballet. Like I need the repetition. I need a teacher that could really show me, like, instead of saying improv, could they actually show me a dance? And um, you're right, I ran into, I, I started finding dancers around Chicago, like Nazare Azul, um, Kathy Cantone, and they, they would, um, have classes that were more about the repetition and learning a choreography and doing folk dances. Actually, the first dances I was doing in this style was Turkish folk dancing, like the Karshlama 
and um, shifted telly, stuff like this with um, Kathy and Nazare in, in a troupe called Aman Aman. And it was a small troupe. There was only four of us. But uh, and Sherry Hafner, we would all perform together this Turkish folk dancing. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of graduated to, oh, well, what others? So I started to branch out, like, researching and looking to anything. But like, um, uh, there was a new thing online called buzz.com at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so people started communicating, like, through this chat about, you know, different things. And I started researching, researching. So one, So back to when I was in college, I was telling my professors and I was telling the the chair of the department the dance department like why don't you ever talk about these other styles I mean the world dance textbook had hundreds of pages on ballet hundreds of pages on modern dance hundreds of pages on on African styles two pages on Middle Eastern one page talked about the Sufi spinners and the other page talked about little Egypt that was at the World's Fair and did the Hoochie Coochie. That's it. That was the whole Middle East in a nutshell. And I was so upset. I'm like, this is not a textbook. This is not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I did was I quit the dance department and there was a professor starting a, a, a degree called cultural studies. Here, he said, if you want to go study more about these cultural specific dances, feel free. Tell me what you need, where you want to go, and I will help you get this degree. Because I was one of the first 10 to to graduate with this degree Mm -hmm. at the university. So I told him, I want to go to Egypt. I want to study at the American University in Cairo, and I want to learn Arabic better. So... I um, got a scholarship to go study abroad at the American University in Cairo in, I think it was 2003 or two, one of the early 2000s. And um, yeah, I loved it. I ended up like putting my degree on hold and staying. At the time I was there, there was a ban on foreigners. Foreigners could not perform in Egypt. And I was relieved because I honestly didn't want to perform. I felt like I knew nothing of Egyptian style. So I would just take the classes with Raya Hassan, like all the teachers that were around. And it was also the beginning of those early Ahlan Wasahlan festivals, right? Where she would have Dina and all the latest uh, dancers come and gather and do workshop workshops and performances that were all the rage. So I was really lucky to be there and take those classes and meet those dancers and, and, and be in Egypt at that time. I really loved it. I enjoyed that time. But there was a period of your life that you spent in Cairo performing with some uh, troupe there, right? Yeah. So while I was at the American University in Cairo, they also had a folk troupe associated with AUC. And... Um, at the time, it was actually, um, they, they performed in Egypt, they performed in France, they performed at a couple different places. And I was a little limited because I was a foreigner on what performances they would allow me to do, but I was able to do all the rehearsals and I did perform with them in Marseille and, and uh, France, as well as at the university and around Cairo. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I, while I was in the school, I was also part of the folk troupe. 
And what I found out at the time was that you could get a license as a folkloric dancer, as a foreigner, not as a rock sharky dancer. So I got a, a, a contract and a, a license in Egypt as a folkloric dancer. Mm -hmm. And I performed a little bit around um, with like, I, I usually had like four or five different male um, backup dancers, or I would hire a couple, uh, two couples to dance with me and we would do shows mostly on the, like the Nile Ferran and around Cairo. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Ah, you know, I was just uh, laughing right now so much listening to you because it was like, I cannot believe you're basically telling my story. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I also came. I so happy it's your story too. No, because I also came from ballet background. I also didn't continue ballet study because I was sick for a while. For me, it happened much earlier, like sort of like very early teenage years. I didn't plan for professional ballet choreography, but dance and ballet was a big part of my life. Like, you know, six days per, day, per week training, like right to like a um, few hours in a row, at least uh, all that stuff. And then I couldn't continue dancing. I took a pause. Then, um, uh, sort of high school, college, we, in Ukraine, we have a slightly different system. So it's kind of like, let's say years of high school, I, because a friend of my mom <laughs> discovered ballet dance, I also did not like my first class. <laughs> and then, wow. and then I also later in life decided to major in dance that was already wow. in Canada. And I also remember very much resistance of all teachers, although uh, I studied at New York University, which is very open to many dance disciplines, but still within, when you try to go and try to put like the assignments that you get in class, try to tailor it to belly dance, uh, you're kind of twisted like, oh, you're, you need to be more open-minded and broaden your uh, view for ballet and modern dance. I was like, no, but I came here for belly dance. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and I ended up basically I didn't quit but I ended up taking all possible electives and independent studies or independent research that just give me freedom to do whatever I wanted to do and whatever I wanted to focus on that's why I was like I can't believe you're telling all this <laughs> it's so true and I almost had to do that too I almost had to just do the electives and get the degree but I, there happened to be this new thing called cultural studies where it fits what I wanted to do uh, and yeah I mean I, I'm so happy to hear that it's not just me. It's a beautiful story, I think. And I think that the things you and I and many other dancers have done has influenced the future of the dance. And it has um, opened the mind of a lot of universities and a lot of, of um, a lot of places to be more open to cultural specific dances and because when I look at Columbia College now, it's totally different. They really, like, if I was going to college now, I would have a totally different story. Mm, you know? Yeah, and right. I love that. So, talking also about your ballet experience, because I remember mine, uh, but um, for you, how did you feel? Did it help you with ballet dance? Did it create uh, extra struggles? Uh, 
what was in terms of learning new dance form, ballet dance in this case, but with a strong background in ballet, which is can go either direction, basically. <laughs> so for you, how it was? So for me, it was really interesting because I didn't realize how good I had it with the teachers I had until I joined the superstars and people would come to me after the show and tell their horror stories of their teacher berating them or yelling at them and telling them they'll never be a dancer. I never experienced that. My teachers were innovators in very interesting ways. Like um, one of the main teachers I had that I, I say made my body look the way it did was a man named Homer Bryant. He had a school in Chicago called the Multicultural Center. And he was very big on getting anybody to try ballet. So he would take us and go to schools and do a rap ballet, rap ballet to the schools trying to tell everyone that the fun is in the discipline the discipline is fun and he would have us demonstrating the positions and the aesthetic of ballet and he tried to make it cool in fact he's very successful now he has a company called hip let which is a combination of hip-hop and ballet where his dancers use the point shoes but they do hip-hop Mm -hmm. um, this came way after I knew him, but I can totally see why he would go in that direction. He was constantly doing non-traditional ways of training and using physical therapy. We would do our ballet bar on trampolines to do more uh, balance uh, training. He would take duct tape wood to his shoe to turn more. He had all these crazy ideas and they, I, and, and my, as a kid, it was like I was playing with him. You know, like we had toys. We we tried all these different props of how to train. And he was really big on the discipline. I mean, it sounds like it was a circus, but really it was very, very intense ballet training of like, you know, a thousand plies, a thousand, you know, just repetition, repetition, repetition. He also introduced me to a dancer named Sherry Murray who um, is in the lineage from Maria Tallchief. And Maria Tallchief was a native dancer who was one of America's first prima ballerinas. So she would come around occasionally. She was um, not dancing anymore when I was young, but she would watch our rehearsals or our dance class sometimes and give feedback to the teachers. Our, um, this woman, Sherry Murray, she also like, added the aplomb, like the port de bras, the refinement of a woman's upper body and alignment and position of the head and exact precision of the wrist to the fingertips, like all the details that Homer really as a, he was very much more into the physical, like build the muscles and she was the details. So they were the perfect combination at the time that really made it possible for me who is not really a conventional ballet body to be able to join a ballet company. Like without them, I never would have been able to. But how was then transition to belly dance and your experience of doing completely different kind of movements uh, yeah. with the body trained for very strict ballet 
positions, ballet, uh, like muscle engagement, uh, I don't know, contractions, those postures, arms, and then suddenly belly dance, let's improvise. <laughs> it, I mean, it definitely took me a long time to um, loose, loosen up or, but I, I do think when you get to be a professional ballet dancer, it, I know everyone thinks of you have to hold yourself really strong and tight and, and you can't relax. But when, when you're at a certain level of ballet, after, after you know, your 10,000 hours of ballet, you can do the movements with a little bit more ease and a little bit more um, similar to belly dance. And back to when I was in Egypt, I met one other person that really influenced and made this all possible, and that was Hala Mustafa. She was a dancer who was in... Um, Cairo making costumes. And I happened to meet her um, ordering a costume. And she said, oh, you used to do ballet? Do you still wear the point shoes? And I said, oh, no, I retired from ballet companies. I'm here to study Egyptian. I really want to do belly dance. And she said, oh, well, could you put the shoes on for me? Could I see? I've always wanted to be a ballerina. So I put on the point shoes and I started to dance for her. And she says, oh, could you do this? Could you move your hip while you're on the shoot? And I go, no, no, not possible. No, no, you can't do that. That's not right. And she goes, well, why don't you just try it? I said, oh, you know, and she was so creative. She had um, worked with another dancer in LA called Jindra. And she showed me this video of Jindra dancing belly dance in the point shoots. And she goes, I bet you could do this too. Do you want to do it? And I said, I'm game, I'll try it, why not, you know? So she helped me develop that because I feel like sometimes when, because she didn't know ballet, um, she didn't know what wasn't possible. So she made things possible that I didn't think I could, you know, like it was just really an interesting collaboration, you know? Like I would show her things, she would show me things and it just blended so well. So while I was there, I started getting homesick and I, I begged my mom to send me some American movies or videos so that I could watch them while I was in Egypt. And my mom sends me this DVD called Belly Dance Superstars. The original like solos with Suhaila, Jelena, like with all the different oh, yeah. American belly dancers. So I put this video on and I show her and I show my Egyptian friends, I show like the foreign dancers in the area, like Yasmina of Cairo, and everyone was watching, oh yeah, I know her, I've heard of that, oh, blah, blah. But when Rachel Bryce came on, they were like, what is that? And they kept watching Rachel Bryce and going, what's that? I, you know, they just, it was so different than the other dancers. And, and Hala was watching with me and she goes, oh, I know Jelena. I know her, I know Ansuya, I know, you know, and she's like, do you want to meet these people? And I was like, yes, of course, I would love to meet them. They, you know, I loved their performances. And um, so she says, well, there's an audition in LA. I'm going to be there anyway to visit my friends and family. Why don't we show at the audition your point piece, the point shoes and the ballet with the belly dance? She goes, because I bet you Miles Copeland, who's Mr. American showman would want this in his show. And you know what? She was completely right. <laughs> I 
I auditioned. He said, what was that? Can you do that again? When can you join? Like, it was really, um, yeah, it was, it was the perfect timing of everything, of everything coming together. And, um, yeah, I joined the superstars. <laughs> it was crazy. Wait, to clarify, so you created that belly dance pointy shoes piece when you were in Egypt? Mostly, yeah. With uh, sort of inspiration and uh, advice of a local dancer designer? Yeah. Holla, That's an interesting... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I showed other, you know, I showed the dancers I'd see in Egypt. I showed my coaches back in America. Like, I got everyone's feedback on it. I'm like, what do you think of this? What do you think? And everyone definitely had a different opinion on what should or should not be included. Um, but in the end, what it really turned into was a solo of my favorites of both. Like, I'm not saying I invented any kind of new style. I just... I did my favorite ballet moves, I did my favorite belly dance moves, and they happen to be in the same solo. <laughs> mm. no, it's just interesting because these days there are so many discussions about mixing different styles. And yeah, oh, so there were still discussions back then too, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't doubt, but it's just interesting, like, huh, that piece was sort of born in Egypt. I don't know, it just crossed my mind right now. It's like, huh, that's interesting. <laughs> unexpected um so how was it from watching belly dance superstars on tv on on uh, videotape and then suddenly unexpectedly being part of the show what was the most memorable experience of uh, uh, performing, performing with that company. Oh my goodness! Um, I, I, I mean, I performed with them for nine years. It just, I, I loved, I loved every single member of the company. It was like being around like twelve or fourteen of your of like people you've always wanted to meet, like. I just, I felt like instant friends, instant family. I adored everyone else's style. Like I was constantly wanting to know, how'd you do that? What was that? Oh, I love your new solo. Or, and, and in the beginning I did the point solo, but I actually, like I said, I hate soloing. So I wanted to be in the ensemble. This is crazy. I know, but I, I loved doing the ensemble. In fact, I think one of the things that might have impressed Jelena the most is that I was so used to understudying every piece in case something would happen that I would know almost every dance in the show. So if somebody was not able to perform, I could honestly raise my hand and say, well, I, I know that dance. Like I learned, you know, I, maybe I wasn't as good as them at flamenco or their style of, or, you know, Petit Jamila with her whirling turns without spotting. I don't know how she doesn't spot. Um, but I, uh, in my free time, I would learn the other side of a choreography, how to do it on the left foot versus the right foot. Um, I would learn dances I wasn't in. I, I tried very hard with the tribal fusion, but I wasn't... Um, 
it's definitely not something that I'm the best at, the isolations and, and uh, you know, I could pull it off, but I'm not like, it, it was definitely a challenge. No, it's <laughs> but, different um, technique. I think the best experience was just being on the road with other like-minded artists that I just felt so comfortable with. Like I felt at home. I felt, um, I loved performing the same show over and over again. I loved it. Like I, we would get comments from the audience of, aren't you so sick of doing the same dance over and over? And I'm like, no, I want to do it a thousand more times. <laughs> you know, like I, I love repetition. I love the experience. And, um, yeah, a lot of it turned into a big blur because it was so many different cities and so many different countries in such a short amount of time that, you know, a lot of it blurred and, and turned into one big, um, experience but i yeah it was just unbelievably exactly what i wanted and i felt so grateful and lucky to be a part of that hmm. do you think your let's say dance mentality or your love to repetition uh does it come from your personality or do you think it more comes from your early ballet training that kind of like it's based on repetition <laughs> It comes from the ballet, for sure. Uh, the repetition I learned. I, I learned how to pick up choreography quickly, not because I'm just good at learning choreography, but because I practiced for 20 years. I learned specific styles of companies because of practice, practice, practice. Like, none of this, I was not born with any of this. You know, like, I didn't have the ballet body. I didn't have a rich family. I didn't have... Um, things given to me. I just worked and worked every single day on the technique, on whatever was needed to get what I wanted, you know, to join the company, to be a part of that production. Like I, um, yeah, it's all about the repetition. And I definitely got that from the ballet and from my early training. But anyone can learn the training at any age. You don't have to be a child. It's just you have to do it long enough to really appreciate the repetition and the consistency of continued practice. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> um, I think it's just uh, for people, and we have a lot of ballet dancers who came out of ballet training. It just, I think for those dancers, ballet training provided this almost uh, um, unconscious understanding that everything comes from repetition, that picking up choreography quickly is just a matter of practice. It's not like any secret tricks. And it's not about being young or being more adult when you start dancing. It's not what age you start it's just time and practice. And there is no way sometimes to shortcut. And it's not the reason to be discouraged. It's just the reason to understand what's going on and keep going and achieving your goals with getting to the technique level you want, getting to the uh, memory skills in terms of picking up choreography. Because I think this is the common that a lot of, let's say, let's call us former ballet dancers, uh, receive like, oh, how do you pick up choreography so quickly? 
Yeah, it's just because I trained by years for my body to keep repeating things, memorizing things, and it just developing like this muscle memory that you start catching things sooner just because your muscle memory is more developed and uh, is ready to be adapted to new movements. But it's, it's just so cool to hear from you. It's like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's something common. It's true. And I think that's what we were trying to say back in the days with the college is that, you know, it's not about one dance style being better than another or, you know, oh, belly dancers shouldn't do ballet or ballet dancers shouldn't do this or that. It's just about the what people enjoy is that ballet has a technical book with codified language. It's very precise. There is a right. There is a wrong. There is um, that over time and practice that it can be achieved. And you see the results in these prima ballerinas. None of them were able to do that after one year of classes. There is no such thing as a prima ballerina that came out and said, oh, I'm going to do ballet. And the next day they're on the stage doing Swan Lake. It, it's all about the repetition, the discipline, the consistency and the time, putting in the time, the effort and um yeah that really makes it so with the debates about if ballet is relevant for other styles of dance or not it's um yeah there's a lot of things i had to unlearn from ballet to be able to be a better belly dancer but at the same time the discipline and the approach to how to practice to make it the best practice it can be really came from um that training yeah how do you implement discipline in your own work and in your work with uh, other dancers too today? Because now you're not just a dancer, not just a performer. You're also artistic program manager of Belly Dance Evolution. We're jumping to another company, which is your current like project. And... Uh, I also bet you are not only working on like programming and deciding things, you're also working with real dancers. Uh, and there is uh, probably a lot of things discipline related because it's a big company and without discipline, it's impossible to run it. Uh, maybe you notice something that, for instance, for you, it is expected in the, let's say, work ethic or work environment and then for other dancers who maybe not coming from ballet background it's something that you kind of need to communicate oh no like let's do it this way uh or maybe direct dancers or something like that is there anything like that in your current work right now yeah so um what i love about belly dance evolution is that um to streamline rehearsals because um to streamline rehearsals, cast members or people auditioning for the company have to do it online by submitting a video. And videos don't lie. Videos show if you pointed your toe or if you lifted your hip or if you stepped in the, in the way of the choreography, if you did enough turns or if your shimmy was visible or this kind of thing. And, um, by using video technology, and this was even before the pandemic, they would do online auditions where, you know, the directors could go and watch the video, rewind, fast forward, 
and there's you know a system of like you know how how high was their you know kind of like a competition or any other form of judging a performance like did you know did they have expression did they did, was their technique polished did, can they turn did they do the choreography like the video so um we're able to give very detailed feedback from auditions from the rehearsal videos so that when dancers come in person to actually put the show together with the other cast members, we can be confident that they know the choreography, that they have done the full choreography. And um, that way we just need to work on the staging and syncing the dancers together so that they're, you know, all, if they're in unison, they're in unison, or if they're soloing that they're in the right spot so that other dancers can be on the stage as well. Um, so, I, what I like about that, that wasn't around when I was younger, is that by learning from a video, any dancer can take as much time as they want to learn the choreography. So if you're someone who doesn't learn a choreography very fast, you can watch the video 10,000 times. You can drill and practice day and night, as long as you want, as long as you make the deadline of when the video needs to be submitted, it's up to you how much time you dedicate to learning that dance. And it's really apparent when even a dancer who looks like they have some natural talent and maybe are a very famous belly dancer as a soloist, if they submit a video and they're turning the wrong way and doing a different choreography, um, they might not be able to get into this company because we need to be confident and sure that if it's an ensemble piece that they know the ensemble choreography and can join the group, you know? Um, so I really like this version so that, um, you know, if people are fast learners, they can learn it fast and submit it faster. Or if they need more time, they can watch the video as many times as they'd like. But we know by them submitting a video that they know the choreography. And we can tell the difference between I just learned it and I feel confident to go and add expression and perform it. Hmm. And basically, discipline element starts even before dancers come together in person. Because yeah. to be able to pay attention to every single you know, element, where is the arm, where is the head, the turn, because... In this case, people submit in videos to perform as a part of ensemble, which is different from just, oh, I'm a good dancer. Like, yeah, but are you a good group dancer too? That's a different sort of a separate skill too. Uh, and paying attention to those elements and being uh, willing to drill it enough so it looks as perfect as possible, that's already discipline. So it's kind of like a, I guess, pre-selection of people who do have this inner discipline already, which definitely is important for any company, but especially in the format of Ballet Dance Evolution, that you're rehearsing with all dances just very limited time before going on stage. It just, what? Four one? days. It's four, four days. Wow. Four days, that's all. It's not even so a full week. So you have to know your stuff. You only are together in person for four days in intense rehearsals and the rehearsals go very long and you might be in like six, seven pieces. 
Um, so that's why we really rely heavily on making sure that the discipline happens before the dancers show up. You're correct. Like we're not a, um, a school. This is not a recital. Like um, you need to be professional enough as a dancer and be able to do the discipline and do the practice on your own and show through a video that you not only know the choreography, you know the technique, but you also can make it look easy and look like you're ready to go on the stage tomorrow. Um, so yeah, so it, in, in terms of in person, it's a little bit easier. We don't have to work so much on the discipline. We mostly work on the staging and the production elements to bring like, for example, in Denmark, when we did The Wizard of Oz, like, yes, all the dancers showed videos of, of the Emerald City skirt that they all hold, but nobody was able to practice with 10 other dancers with a giant skirt with holes in the middle to represent the city. So we had to spend extra time on learning how to work with this prop that needed, you know, all, I think it's, yeah, 12 or 16 dancers to hold it. And uh, same thing with the wizard. Like, yes, everyone knows how to do fan veils, but can you make the face of a wizard out of these fan veils? And how do you hold it exactly? And this was actually my first time with the Wizard of Oz. Like, um, Jill Collins and Jelena and Luna had been the co-directors in the past that have put that production together. And so there's amazing videos online of breakdowns and formations. But as you know, with any live performance, things change so fast. Maybe there's more dancers, maybe there's less dancers, maybe you need to be on stage right. Oh wait, never mind, go to stage left. Do it on the other side. So we really look for adaptability. Like you could be an amazing soloist, but maybe you're not right for belly dance evolution because you're not adaptable to someone else's style of dance. Mm. So for that belly dance evolution, you are artistic program director, director manager. What uh, is included in your responsibilities? Um, so as the program manager, basically I'm helping to put the production together and doing a lot of the behind the scenes. For example, um, I'm setting up the casting. I'm watching all the casting videos. We're doing the spreadsheet of, of who's from where and what and how and all the information from the dancers. And then when we're casting the dancers, I'm communicating with the group to make sure that they're all aware of the tour book and the, the commitments. Are you committed to these rehearsals on these days? Will you submit your video in time? Um, I also work with Jelena and other dancers like Shannon and Kapua and Luna on the choreographies and making sure that the story makes sense. For example, right before the pandemic, Belly Dance Evolution, the professional company, had done Jungle Book. It literally, the premiere of Jungle Book happened and the next day everything closed. So um, trying to organize different dancers and their styles of choreography, like Kapua is a wonderful hip hop. He knows Tahitian style. He knows many different styles. Um, Shannon choreographed a Bollywood number to go in with the Jungle Book since it was set in India. Uh, Luna is a very well-known fusion dancer and adds in a lot of contemporary elements. Um, we also have like 
contributing choreographers that you may not even see in the show, like Daisha from Argentina, or Rachel Reynolds helped a lot with um, some of the choreographies for the Jungle Book. So we, um, I helped to coordinate like dancers, not only to perform the production, but also to help choreograph, to add elements to the production. So it's not just, a, oh, this is all Jelena choreography, which are wonderful, but it's, it's really nice to have an eclectic, um, really more of like a world dance style, more than just, here's a rock sharky performance. Like we really like to add in elements from many different styles and highlight the strengths of the dancers that are chosen to be in the performance. Mm -hmm. I also know that you had quite a big input in the choreography part of uh, uh, Shahrazad uh, production, which was oh, very related yes. to ballet. Can you tell a little bit more about that? <laughs> oh, yes. So, goodness. Before I took on the position of the artistic programs manager, I was a contributing choreographer while living in Chicago. So um, I would contribute choreographies or come and work with Jelena for certain times. And at one point in 2015, I think, they came to me and said that in Morocco, a, a beautiful sponsor named Dalal wanted to perform Scheherazade with a full orchestra playing Tchaikovsky's um, uh, score. But of course, Jelena didn't want just classical music. She also wanted like the, you know, belly dance rock sharky music. And so we were coordinating a dance that would bring in ballet dancers and belly dancers onto the stage and Moroccan dance. I mean, there was, it was so much going on. It was a beautiful production where um, I helped cast the ballerinas from Chicago because at the time I was pregnant with my second kid and I wasn't able to travel. So I worked in person with some ballet dancers because they weren't so used to the online training. Mm -hmm. And also this was a whole new thing where they didn't have instructional videos to show them how to do um, you know, the ballet mixed with the belly dance and everything. And so we wanted to use dancers that were in point shoes, like a whole group, and um, have the king and queen do a pas de deux and have Scheherazade have that uh, flavor of, of belly dance and ballet, um, particularly because in Morocco, when we went with the superstars, they were really into that kind of high art, adding in the point shoes and adding elements of high art for um, in, in Morocco. So yeah, it was a whole production of ballet dancers, belly dancers, um, Moroccan dancers, orchestra and Arabic band all coming together to do shows in Morocco of Scheherazade's journey and, and different stories from that legendary tale. Yeah, and that's so cool to hear also because I think it's so connected to your something like your native because you were doing like this mix between like ballet dance and ballet and pointy shoes and here's the whole production <laughs> and like i said in the very beginning i adore working with groups so this was even more of a dream than being in the superstars was to have other dancers do ballet mixed with belly dance jill collins was really great she did point shoes she did ballet with it as well like she played the white horse that was attacked by a fusion dancer. And I mean, there's just 
so many elements. Lee Namu was the original Sinbad, where he, oh my goodness, that a little bit of natural talent there, but that dancer was so disciplined. He knew so many different styles of dance. And um, he was actually his first ballet experience, going from being a fusion dancer and going into more of a balletic route. And he still to this day does ballet elements. Like I'm always excited to help fuel someone's passion for more than one style of dance because it's wonderful to love ballet. It's wonderful to love belly dance. You can love both. You can love more than two styles. You can really, you know, the world is 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 out there. Like there's so much you can do online now on the internet, classes you can find all around the world in any particular cultural style you desire, you know? And it also all just fascinates me, like, with all our discussions, like, what is appropriate, what is not appropriate. But here is, again, one more example of fusion, literally fusion, the whole production. It's a fusion and it's a mix of different cultures, which was produced with a sponsor from Morocco. It just, it, I don't know, it just always blows my mind, like, like this thing. It was that, her idea. Yeah. Yeah, the Morocco wanted to hire Jelena in production to do a ballet belly dance production. Like that was the goal. It wasn't that us white fellows came along and said, we're going to demand we do ballet and belly dance. It was a request of for production in Morocco that that's what they were looking for was to add ballet dancers and belly dancers into a production to the Scheherazade score of classical music with the full orchestra. Yeah, I guess right now, like also thinking there can be like two sides of the each matter, like of why is it happening and why, you know, like we always aim for something else. Like on the West, we are fascinated with what is happening on the East. In the East, people fascinated with what is happening on the West. And it's... Uh, I have noticed that, yeah. Yeah, it has two, two sides, I think. One beautiful side of this uh, love and willingness to exchange... Uh, and get inspiration from cultures of each other. And another side is very often under appreciation of our own culture. And this happens in every single country, regardless of the region. <laughs> very often, very often. So it's but it's just interesting like to see the strengths and where what comes like in this inspiration like both your pointy uh, point shoes uh, belly dance uh, dance piece and this the whole production and where the support and inspiration comes from like you know like who would think about that very interesting yeah i feel like you know i, I it makes people more empathetic to experience something beyond their little bubble of culture like if I was just to stay within my culture of Polish, American, German, European mutt, like um, it would not necessarily make me as empathetic to Muslim culture or um, Chinese or, or cultures that I have not experienced. And I feel like the more people experience cultures beyond their little bubble, the more empathetic and the more we realize we're all human, you know, and that I just, I, I think we naturally are curious about the other, the thing we didn't know about, like coming from ballet, I knew ballet, but I was curious about this Egyptian style. I was curious about 
Middle Eastern culture. Like I wanted to learn the language, the cuisine, the, you know, and experience something beyond just me and where I was born. Mm. Wow. So cool and just so inspiring to also hear like these stories and uh, this uh, these examples. And another interesting thing, like you just mentioned like your own culture, but then it's like one, two, three, four, five backgrounds. And most of us have one, two, three, four, five, ten, twenty backgrounds today. It's very like of course there are people who like more came from let's say i don't know even to say pure origins that sounds a little bit like <laughs> strange but like you know like more from like a specific ethnic group but majority vast majority of people we have mixed backgrounds it's just sometimes we forget about like we may think about two three generations back but not more than that uh or sometimes we just focus like where we were born or where we spend most of our life, forgetting that huh, we actually have much more in our background. And uh, that was also interesting and cool reminder. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Donna Mejia said a really interesting and wonderful thing where she said, we're now all global citizens. I mean, now that the internet is widely available, like we can connect with people anywhere at any time and it really changes a lot of of everyone's culture not just one culture it's, it's changing everyone's view and you know accessibility and and everything like that and you know we're all fumbling forward as she would say like we all don't know the right answer and the correct way to be um but the best thing we can do is just fumble forward and try in my opinion like just really try to be respectful and empathetic towards people that have different views than you yeah, yeah so on this note uh what is uh, sort of next we are approaching already end of the year and soon entering 2022 so what are your dreams hopes maybe plans that you can want to share with us for this like 2022 uh, both I don't know personal or maybe if you can speak anything about company uh, or just about like you I'm really curious because it's kind of like new year now like we all think about years I think in a very particular way you know like 2020 2020 really changed our approach like what's the next year will bring to us <laughs> so what are your hopes and plans for 2022 oh goodness um i let's see i mean i i have a family now i have um two small children that i really you know hope to um help grow and thrive and um I, I hope the whole world it gets very empathetic and learns from this experience of, you know, what connects us and what brings us together to make us stronger. Um, I, I'm, I'm really, you know, I, I really love people and I love being a part of a community and seeing other artists like dance and, and do whatever they do best. Um, and grow and, and support. And um, 
I, I'm just thrilled that Belly Dance Evolution was able to make it through this experience and come out and hopefully thrive and continue to grow and, and help dancers experience um, their career goals. Like I basically want anyone who, who wants to have a career like I do to have it. Like I, I would do anything to help anyone get their career goals um, realized or, you know, help them find what makes them happy and what helps them to develop their art and share with the world and make the world a better place. Mm. <laughs> oh my goodness. I sound like Miss America. Like I want world peace. <laughs> well, world and dance peace too. <laughs> ah, that, that's uh, so nice. And I also wish you all the best in this upcoming uh, new year and uh, uh, hope that you are, Uh, both family, like personal and uh, dance artistic hopes will and uh, uh, wishes will come true and uh, to find satisfaction in both lives, personal and dance, and that they coexist nicely together and support each other because uh, that's also very important for us as dancers. <laughs> Yes, very true, very true. And also I would like to ask, um, so for our listeners who want to follow more of your uh, dance experience and dance uh, uh, activities, where they can uh, find more information. Do you have any, you know, favorite social media what you share star with or uh, is it more focused on the company activities? Uh, where can people find more information about you? <laughs> yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm a bit shy and I'm not much of a social media person, but I do have a presence on Facebook and Instagram as Sabah um, Saeed or Sabah Ballet Dance. Um, and of course, I am highly attached to Jelena and her amazing company, Belly Dance Evolution. They have a website, bellydanceevolution.com. Um, we are hoping to announce new auditions for the Jungle Book for 2022 coming soon. Uh, we also want to reschedule our Frankfurt Wizard of Oz production for 2022. So um, we will be announcing those soon on the Belly Dance Evolution website or of course on social media through the company or through Sabah Saeed, which is me. Mm, that's very exciting for many dancers right now to hear like, okay, I need to keep an eye for audition. <laughs> Because uh, like how we started our conversation, it's exciting to see that live events slowly start coming back and hopefully no more adventures, crazy like well, cancellations or anything like that. Maybe let be let it be slow, come back, but sturdy. Let's say like uh, <laughs> going on like uh, on the direction of coming back, even if it's a slowly but already started. That's awesome, and I'm pretty sure many dancers would be excited to uh, take audition audition and participate in this production um because it's not only cool experience of being on stage but also the cool experience of, exp of experiencing the group 
and dancing together and and dancing in person too that's that's a very exciting experience and uh, before i ask our final signature question for the podcast i also want to thank you so much for such a lovely conversation which went by like so quickly like in one minute basically like it's already more than an hour and uh, <laughs> it was so cool to hear all the stories you know and uh, also really hear uh, really Really cool to hear personal stories of dancers who come from different backgrounds, different dancers, but who fall in love with belly dance. And that is related to my final signature question, which I'm very thrilled to ask you. What makes you fall in love with belly dance again and again so you keep doing it for so many years? That every single person brings something new to the dance. Every single dancer has a unique thing that makes the dance unique to them. And just like your podcast that I'm a huge fan of, every person's story is different and they're all fascinating. I can't stop listening. I'm doing dishes or helping with my kids and I, I'm shy. I'm trying to listen to this dancer's story and or to see the dancer's performance. And I mean, YouTube, live perform. There's so many different ways to see what every single dancer brings to this art form. And I can honestly say there's always something I love about every dancer, whether they're a beginner and just learning, or they have been a professional for many years and are a well-loved star. Like there is something special in each person's dance. That's it for today, guys. But before you go away, don't forget to screenshot this episode and share it with your friends. And if you post it on social media, please tag me and our guest because we love seeing who is listening to the podcast. Thanks for being with us and I'll see you next week. Same time, same place.